constant in college rugby is change. And there has been monumental changes in the last 15 years. Welcome, everyone, to the uh, third ever podcast of the uh, FCC, the number one college Florida podcasting in all of America. I'm your host and commissioner, Kirk Swanner. On the phone or on the chat today, we got quite a few people with us. We got our longest tenured coaches. Uh, first up, Ken Simmons at UF. We also got Michael Gomez at Florida State and Mr. Ronnie Soares down at FIU. And as always, the number one coach you love to hate, Evan Haig, our uh, general manager, is also on the chat. So, um, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for joining us today. Wanted to talk a bit about, you know, uh, you guys have been around the longest. So, what is it that we want to see when we uh, when we when we're hosting? What what are we expecting from our opposition? What are we expecting from our student leaderships? What's what's like a perfect day um, from a home match schedule? And then we'll talk about when we go on the road. So, anyone have any comments about? Uh, yeah, like you know, what what do we want to see? You know, from opposition ref. What what's what's like a perfect day or? Uh, well, I guess maybe we'll start with like setups or um, or pregames or all that type of stuff. Any, any comments? So I know like for me personally, when I was coaching at Florida State, I always wanted to try to create a really family friendly environment. So one thing that drove me insane all the time is when opposition would come in town and when during their warm up, they would warm up topless you know like i was trying to create like a more professional environment family friendly environment and like show me a, a professional team that warms up without their shirt on you know like most people most professional teams when they warm up they've got like a uniform so that's what i'd like to see happen more or at least everyone have a shirt on when they're warming up yeah i guess uh <laughs> i'll say I, I guess i can go first with you know that picture perfect day you know, um, picture perfect day, you know, your bus pulls into the, uh, the opposition's field, uh, every player gets off with their, with their matching, uh, uniforms, uh, matching kit bags, right. Uh, and we're immediately greeted by a representative from the other team, right. Maybe a non-player, maybe a student leader, you know, who points us, uh, immediately in the direction of some bathrooms within walking distance, right. And not porta potties. I'm talking like a structure um, and then gives us an area to set up. Say, Hey, you know, this is, you know, free reign here, set up your tents, whatever you need. Um, ideally, you know, maybe like a campus rec person or something is, is providing coolers of water. Um, and uh, also uh, an athletic trainer. So, you know, we get off the bus, Hey, here's where you can go to the bathroom. Here's where you can get taped up. Uh, here's where you can get water. And then we've got our own area, warm up, kick off, play a match, right? And then immediately, uh, again, perfect world. You have a place to take a shower. Uh, if not, then straight to the social, couple hours, and then head back home. So we'll talk real quick about the athletic trainer. Like, is Evan, is there a requirement compliance-wise for, like, athletic training or – no, we, we don't, I don't think we have it specifically within the rules, but it is, I think a lot of the schools require you to have an athletic trainer there um, within that. So I know at UCF, we are required to have that and they supply two for the day. Um, and that's mainly to manage 
one's going on the field to treat an injury that there's another one there um, dealing with the next up case. Um, but I think that also covers at the beginning. So that one trainer could tape up. So two trainers are taping up at the same time. So I don't believe we have a set rule for that, but it's just the best case, what we ideally want. And I think everybody follows it bar. I've only been to one school where that hasn't really been adequately covered. So do you, uh, do you guys have to pay for your trainers at UCF or are they provided for you? They're provided for us. One of the clubs. Oh sports. man, Jesus yes. Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that schools are doing better job about, you know, having access to trainers. Like that was not around six, seven years ago, but, or it was just coming around. Um, it definitely, it definitely wasn't for us for a while. Um, I'd say it took our first year going to nationals for us to get trainers um but like that that was that was our our key missing piece and then after that like for games we have possibly two trainers I know at minimum we always have one trainer and a grad student um and then on a certain days where there's only one uh sports event going on then we'll have both trainers there and then uh Ron can Mike, are you, do you guys have to pay for your trainers, or are they supply it as well? Uh, so, at UF, we uh, we don't we don't have to pay for them if we're on campus. But we've had a couple of times where we couldn't play on campus, and in order for us to play, we had to prove we had a trainer provided. And uh, we have access. Actually, there's a a group that we email, and they'll send us a trainer for about uh, I want to say it's about seventy five bucks a, an hour. Where'd you find this group at? That's expensive, uh, Ken. It it may not be that much, uh, but it's uh yeah it it they uh, so I can't remember the cost, but they're actually mostly uh, grad students that are qualified AT student that are ATs that uh, basically because we're not on campus, Rec Sports doesn't provide them, but they belong to a group that uh, yeah is it is it a Gainesville area play yeah uh, it's, group. It's been, it's Gainesville area group. Yeah. Okay. So there, there is a service. There's a service that you can use. It's called go for Ellis. And I use it from the union standpoint and you can go in and put, you basically put it out there and the local trainers will sign up for your event and you just approve the one you want. The, the going rate that I found across all of Florida is 35 an hour. Um, and that, that'll, okay. that'll guarantee you a trainer. Usually they have a minimum two hours. You usually want them for three an hour before, and then two hours of the match. Um, most of the time they'll come with their own kit bag full of stuff. Um, they may charge you extra if you don't supply tape, but that is definitely a service. I think everybody, if you don't have access to trainers that they should be using, it's, it's really straightforward. Um, I have the same thing as Ken, whenever we get forced off campus, we have to supply our own. Sometimes we can convince the school if we're not too far off campus to come, but usually they're so short staffed now because they pay that. I, what I, my understanding is they pay their athletic trainers 15 or $16 an hour when the going rate outside that is 35 or in okay. general community. So that's why UCF has a real hard time keeping trainers because they don't pay them adequately enough. Right. Um, do so, you yeah. guys supply tape for your, you know, so when you have players going to go get strapped up, do you take them, send them over there with a roll of tape or no. do you just expect I, them to I, use the trainer I, stuff? At mine, the trainer has all of it. And then when we take away trips, we get a special kit bag that has, they call it a first aid bag, but we, because we're a higher contact sport, they will give us two sleeves of tape, which I just take 
and each week we keep that and we stockpile it. Um, I have my own medical bag that I bring with me as well that I've had uh, accumulated over the years. And then that is something that I deal with because usually when we go to an away game, as much as it's really nice to have, I think Florida State's really the only place where we've been where there's someone who has the time to be able to um, adequately tape your players. So I usually just end up taping them myself. Um, so I'm kind of with Mike. It would be nice to have that. But go, Florida State has a wonderful room where you can just have, you know, they have a bunch of trainers in there and they just tape them up and they can churn through it real quick. But usually the, the training services are often not available prior to the game at other right. places. Yeah. Right. Our, our problem is the trainers don't get there in time. Uh, they're, they're slated to get there. 15 minutes uh, before kickoff. lucky, off. they'll get an hour before the game. So, so what, you have to stop your warm-ups to get them taped up. So he, here's what I found my workaround with it is I tell them the game starts at 11 when it actually starts at noon, and then they get there on their prep time. So I basically force them into, like, listen, we need them prior to the game. And I tell right. them the book, because what happens is the kids book the game. Let's say we want to kick off at 2 o'clock. They book it for an hour before. That's when the gates open, they do all of that. And then it just causes everything else to, to screw around. So I just try to create a bigger window for everything. Right. Um, yeah. So th- it's great. Uh, w- are there certain areas around the state that aren't as good with trainers or do, let's not, the, should we rather not call people out? <laughs> I, I not, think we all, right. yeah, yeah, I think so we know the two, we think we know the two schools that were the worst with it. Um, then, right. uh, one of them is still obviously with us and the other one has moved on. Um, okay. so yeah. the, the other thing you talked about Gomez was a bathroom. Um, like that's something that you guys should probably be coordinating ahead of time too. Right. And then if there wasn't a bathroom, a workaround could easily be a pop-up tent. Cause now they have pop-up tents with like fully, that can be fully enclosed, right? Like you could almost have your own changing sheds if you really wanted one. That's the biggest issue at FIU. I mean, our our field is in the worst area. It's next with no, to with tiny sidelines. Yeah, with tiny sidelines, it's next to a garage. The closest bathroom is, you know, hike. a good a good hike. So yeah. it, it it's it's not the ideal situation. Um, yeah. but you know, I I know that uh like last year, and I I know Ken had the issue where like the field when you showed up at the field they didn't have the the, the bathrooms open so guys had to go to like a building that was across the street it was it was it's always kind of like difficult in those situations I think right. where not everyone has like the facility that's close by that has the bathroom yeah so then uh I'd be interested to see how much those tents cost with like you know because like now they have them at, at the football games right where they send the player into the tent so there's and they close it off so people can't spy on him and figure out if he's injured or not. Right. Like we got one of those or two of those, each team had one, like that's an easy changing shed that's mobile and that's an easy workaround. Right. I, I don't think the kids have a problem with getting changed. I think the problem is the bathroom, particularly if you've made a four hour plus trip, you really mm-hmm. need to use the, the men's room. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the hard thing about Ronnie's. I think FAU has field as a bathroom there, but it's very small. Um, Florida State is again because just because of their facility is great. I think Ken, yours is right there on there, right? They've got a good little bathroom it's and right, all that, right? It's right, right there. there. The it's only it's only a couple of stalls, but yeah, it's it's right there on the at the field. 
yeah, and I think UNF actually has a really theirs is a yeah. little bit on the other side of the baseball field, but it's not too far a hike from what I remember, yeah. right? Um, and then right. yeah. So we've talked about uh, on a road trip the approach and then getting ready, right? So now Ken brought up an interesting point about warm-ups, right? Like the last thing you want to do is start a warm-up and then stop it, right? So there, to me, the big thing that always there was always the referee, the interaction with the ref. Um, what else could stall your warm-up? Like what else do we want to see happen? again, that'll make a perfect day for us since we're, you know, on the road here. Like for me, always, I always try to get in there and talk to the ref and say, Hey, can we do this chat before, right. or, you know, can I build it? I mean, I'll build it into my warm up if you give me the notice, but. Um, well, I've found most of the refs we've dealt with have been really good about when's a good time. Hmm. Uh, again, that's, well, I think that's a new thing they're doing now, but. Yeah. And that, that's worked out well. Cause we can, pick a time when we're doing the, the static, you know, just the initial static stretch is good. They're already on the ground and in a line and ready for them. Yeah. But uh, that's when the refs get there on time. So a lot of that's going to depend on the referee itself himself or herself. I know that. I mean, so I ref out here in California and there are times that I don't even talk to the players before the game, you know, cause I just trust that the coaches know what the hell they're doing. And I just do the coin toss and go. Yeah, I think that falls on that whole like new referee empathy thing <laughs> where they're like, you know, they're 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 trying to teach them to have empathy for the players and, and the coaches. Uh, I think that's where that kind of falls in. I, I do know that one thing that I guess kind of like bothers me and, and stops that kind of stops warm up is like, for example, say we go to the field and that field requires us to sign some paperwork. Right. You know, that that with that kind of that kind of throws in, in in a delay. And sometimes like FIU has tried to implement that. And then they realize, like, we're doing this at the worst time, you know, like and, and you could tell, like, it annoys the coaches, it annoys the players. It's hard to get everybody, everybody to do it. So I was thinking, like, maybe something like, say, if we go to UCF and UCF does that, maybe UCF sending us that paperwork prior yeah. to us going up there and then having that filled out so that we could just turn it in. So yeah, yeah, I sent out the USF paperwork yesterday. Did you guys get that? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, I, I that's. That. I'm, I'm sorry. We've already received paperwork from Florida State for a game in uh, late October. Great job, Gomez. <laughs> Sign the waivers over. Yeah. I, and and I and I think that kind of, I think we all have to have waivers signed. I think it's a school related policy that we all follow for the most part. I think it's, I think it's a lot of just understanding like what does the game day management need to be like I think and I do this pretty poorly too like if Ronnie's coming up the one thing I want to always try to work out is what time's ideal kickoff for him but what I probably should be doing is all right what time do you think you're going to get there let's make sure we plan everything out like what are the waivers like these are all the items that need to get done prior to so it's not a shock of having to do that oh guys you know you just showed up this time you need to get this waiver signed um, right. so I definitely think that like, I, I just hearing you guys, that's definitely something that I want to try to improve. Like here are the four things that, that we need to, you guys to have done, including the social, including, Hey, do you need equipment? You know, like sometimes it's just easy enough to travel with a bunch of equipment, but we've got a locker full of equipment that I can lend you hit shields and do all those other things that you might want. So, yeah. So let's touch on that subject real quick. Like, uh, theft, 
you know, that's always been a big, at least when I was playing, that was always a big thing, right? You always try to steal balls or steal, you know, anything, right? Like, I really hope that stuff gets eradicated. You know, this message is really for like captains and senior players, the guys that are the culture keepers. Like, the only thing you're doing if you're stealing shit is uh, disrespecting your opposition. And, you know, you can't, you can't have a game without an opponent. So you can't have a game without a referee, right? You can't have a game without a facility. So we need to be showing respect to the facilities, to the facility staff, to the referee, and to the opposition. And one of the best ways to show respect is to not steal their stuff. So, like, I, I just hope that stuff gets eradicated because then we are going to make each other's lives easier, right? Like, what if we didn't have to travel with all of our kit or with all of the gear like Evan just suggested? But that's not going to come unless we trust each other, so – Comments. I feel like that problem has gone away. I know back in my day when rugby clubs only had one ball per team, you yeah. that's what you had to worry about somebody stealing. But uh, I, I got, haven't, we haven't had any issues in the last few years with any of that that I can recall. Okay. I got a report of it. That's why I brought it up. Oh. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be great, though, you know, like just more communication. So that way the, the pre-match um, process is real seamless. So that way it's just easy when we get there, right? Because we all know we all have – it's always a, it's a big task when you go up on the road, right? Like anything we can do to make our lives easier, I think we should definitely pursue it. Uh, anything else as far as warm-up goes or pre-match kickoff stuff? No, I, I really like what you said about that uh, opposition needs. I mean – I know that we had one of the things that we were complaining when I first got to FIU was that we weren't ever providing the opposition with tents or water. And finally they, you know, they got around to doing it, but like, I always felt that that was important in certain, like certain areas, especially, you know, you come down to Miami and you got to, you know, or to FIU and you got to play on a turf field. It's brutally hot. There's no space to, you know, you know, you put, you put, you, um, you know, you put your gear on, on the, on the turf and it's, it's burning hot. So I know that that to me, I felt that that was always important. I always felt that it was important for the opposition to have that. But like, I think that everywhere we've gone, uh, you know, most, most of the teams have always kind of taken care of us. Yeah. I mean, so there's basically like kind of three timelines or like, travel times, right? You got the, the two to three hour trip that you can take. So UF's got the most of those, but you know, like UNF to Florida state, FIU to FAU, like those games, like we don't have to kick those off at, on two o'clock or one o'clock on a Saturday. Those, those could be played on Friday nights. And like, if you guys haven't played Friday night games, they are so great because you get your entire weekend back. It's so nice. So uh, you know, I, I, I would suggest we try to pursue those. Right. And then, you know, to Evan's point about uh, instead of setting the kickoff time and going backwards, like, are we better off doing, are we better off figuring out what time is a good, like standard time to leave for these four hour trips? Cause that's the majority of the ones we have are these four, four and a half hour trips. So like, are we better off figuring out like, what's the best departure time and then working forward from there to you know what time we're arriving what time is the warm-up you know and then and then getting to the kickoff time that way is that a better way to do this and then trying to standardize it i 
I think the hardest point when you do that is certain teams like to do certain things a certain way. So I, I think like there's, there's some limits there. There should be, I think the freedom for the traveling team. So if we're going to Florida state, we should have some idea have of more, more say, in, say in, yeah, on, on the kickoff time, but to some limit, like Gomez can't demand that I kick off at seven o'clock at night. Cause I don't have lights on my field. So by him demanding that, I mean, I have to go off campus. So we just talked about that adds athletic training costs, that adds uh, fuel, rental, all of those things, which we're willing to do, but it, it just takes away from the ability for us to play on campus. Um, so like that's a limitation. I think we're, we're pretty unique on that. I think everybody else has lights on their field. So um, yeah, so I, I, I think there has to be some parameters. And I think for the most part, we all really work really well with each other on that. And I think it's the one of the really nice things I've found with the FCC is we've all started communicating better. But I, I think if there were just a standard process of, hey, listen, you know, the travel team, if you're traveling over two hours or three hours, the travel team has a little bit more of a say because I don't want to set a 12 o'clock kickoff for a, you know, Ronnie coming up from FIU. That's not fair unless he plans on coming up on Friday night and staying and then coming back down again. Like that's different pieces that we could throw in around that. So, but that, that's basically would be my two cents on that. So we just need to communicate more. Yeah, and to be honest, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about because I'm like Ken. We're very central ground, so right. like I, my the, trips are not not overly onerous. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're always the four hour, and then you get the seven hour trips, seven eight hour trips, which are the you know cross state. So like I I've been suggesting that we play those Saturday nights, so that way you get up and leave Saturday morning. You arrive. You can either go to the hotel if you're staying the night, which I recommend you do. And then you have a little time to stretch your legs um, and then you go and play and then you stay the night, which is an easier way to have a good time than trying to drive up on Friday to stay the, you know, then you get in really late Friday night for like an afternoon kickoff. I understand with that, you're able to get back home on Saturday night, but um, Gomez and Ken, what are you guys thoughts so as far as kickoff times for those seven hour trips? Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, having for years, we've traveled the hall of the Southeast. So all of our trips are like that for oh, a while. Yeah, yeah. So we just, for those, we just planned on, we went up Friday night and then we could make any, any game time. In fact, uh, we found out sometimes it worked better us going up Friday night and have like a 10 o'clock in the morning kickoff. Is that why you're back mm-hmm. at a decent hour? Yeah, that way you night. Come back that night if we, if you didn't spend the night in the town, but, uh, what do you think was best on that, Ken, culture-wise? Because I think these, if you don't do it every week, I think it's different because you guys are doing that a lot. But if this is a, you know, right. Mike and you only go down to South Florida once, um, right. I hope I hope that's the way Ronnie built, um, um, Kirk built the schedule. Um, once a year, you could plan around, like, like, is it better a Saturday night where they all get to go and hang out afterwards and see family? Or is it better the Friday night, like, that's the way I, I like I was thinking about it's, it. It's definitely better the Saturday night. Um, right now, what I mean, uh, something that Florida State's done in the past and what I'm looking into is because um, you touched on that culture thing, you know, um, historically, when we when we go down to these South Florida trips, I'm only taking a side. So, you know, going back to the last few times we've gone down, 
Um, staying the Saturday night was really great. I know a lot of people enjoyed that. Um, we did that in 2020. We went down to FIU. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of parents there. Uh, some kids stayed home. Um, but usually what we do is, uh, you know, drive down Saturday morning and then after the game, stay for the social for a little bit and then drive maybe like another hour, hour and a half, try and, get, uh, try and make a little headway and then, you know, Sunday morning head back. But, um, but now, um, you know, if, if rather, you know, if, I, if I'm going to invest the money in a South Florida trip, you know, why don't I just bring two sides, stay two nights and then do both. Right. Find a Friday night match and then find a sat, you know, play Saturday as well. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to the multiple sides real quick. So the one thing I'll say is like when you go to Columbia, South Carolina to play USC or you go to Knoxville or you go to UGA, you go to Athens, to play UGA. Those are fun college towns that your guys don't get a chance to go see and it is a lot of fun to stay the night you know like ken you guys did it all the time so it's probably like been there done that you know and you and you're in gainesville another great college town um but for the other programs that aren't like that like it's pretty fun so for me it's always been the go up saturday morning have the game blow it out saturday night and we always took a bus it was great we would leave at four in the morning right and we were we're home by like midday uh, but if you don't take a bus and you have to drive cars, yeah, it sucks. You know, that's not the best way to go. So I would say like, get big, get to a bus and, and you, you get a lot more options where it's a lot easier, you know, kind of like we did when we came back from the, from New Orleans on that FCC team, uh, rep team, right? The bus left at what? three thirty four in the morning, Evan, Mike. I think it was five. I think. Yeah. I think it was five yeah, but four, four or five something four like or that. five well, we got back i think i was home my house by two which was nice i was not expecting that so yeah i'm i'm and that's what we're doing when we go to florida state in the fall here is that we like to do a fall tour tallahassee is a great fun town it's a college town everyone and the kids are really excited about staying the night and getting that time up there so sometimes as a coach i don't want to do that you know sometimes i want to go back to my family and not have to do that but i do think it is missing an opportunity sometimes on that too so it's um but it's hard it's financials like because ronnie you guys don't off you guys usually drive minivans right everywhere you go yeah we drive minivans everywhere man and and i mean uh i i wish i'm, I'm waiting for the day that we have a a bus yeah. to go somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah um but, go ahead ken sorry i was just gonna say the minivans are are a good alternative if you can't afford the bus um, because and actually it gives a little bit more flexibility if there's just some kids that couldn't couldn't go if they had to stay for the whole time or or whatever or so was, that that's that's the second best alternative than taking the bus but i i think to your point evan uh the coach you know like having the team dinner it's what what we used to try and do when we were most successful we'd travel Friday night and get everybody and have them request a day off so we could get them there in time to have a team dinner in the town that we're playing and then get up and have a breakfast together. And then now you've, you're bonded as a club. And I think that's really, uh, really helpful. You're also sending the message of business as opposed to leisure, but mm -hmm. too, you know, 
sure. yeah, it's it's striking the balance between the two because Ken and I talk about this a lot. It's like I don't want to be out drinking with my team, but I will go and have a beer with them, but I won't stay for hours and hours. That that's that's for them. That's their parties. That's their time. And Ken has a very similar right. process with them, oh, yeah. right? So it's that's correct. <laughs> it's a it's a cultural thing on the away trips too that it's it's a challenge. So uh, it's managing that. Um, I found since we've moved to buses, and I know we're in a unique situation because we're so central, our bus costs are not extraordinary. Um, but it is definitely one, it's improved the school relationship because the school doesn't feel uncomfortable with us driving all over the state and the kids are not responsible. We have a professional driver and two, it's just way easier to coordinate and the guys have a good time. Even the guys who, you know, play 20, 30 minutes on the B side still feel like they had a really fun day because they went up and back in a bus and they got to hang out. So I've found that's also been a big cultural thing and adding to the atmosphere that I want for the guys for the day too. Yeah. Um, again, so let's, let's touch on it real quick about two sides. Like what is the minimum number of players you need to travel with to play two games? I would say the number is 30. Once you get to 30, you're playing two sides. The second game is probably going to be an 11s game, you know, cause obviously you want some substitutions. And I also say, once you get to 30, you should be playing 11s and the, and the reserve grade game first. Because, you know, like playing your reserve grade second, the game is more of an afterthought. So we need to be playing it first because then you can you can play an 11s game, right? You've got four substitutions at halftime. You pull your four best players. So here's, here's a question. In your reserve grade games, do you guys care if you win or lose? That's probably the better question to start off with. No, it's probably development. No. I mean, I don't have I don't have the. I don't ever have the luxury of having two sides, but I would definitely say that the the reserve game is more about the development of those players. Yeah. So I would think that that game wouldn't matter when it comes to a, a win loss situation. Yeah. I also like, I also like the idea of the reserve going first, just because it follows that like tiered structure of the elite levels where the main game is the top teams playing at the end? Like a boxing ticket, right? The main yeah, event's exactly. not, you don't put the main event first. Yep. I, I, also um, think, I also think, Kirk, on that, like if we talk about arriving, if you arrive late for a later, like you have a shorter warm up for a B side game, it has less of an impact on the game that matters probably right. per se more, even though the development I think is really, really important. So I think if we, planned more around that like let's I, I think it would definitely help I, I think it's it's a different thing that I have not seen everybody grasp I think Florida State does a really good job with wanting to play b-side first um, so I, I definitely would love to see more of it um, particularly if we had our numbers right I, I agree in a perfect world but I'm just thinking right now the players I've got my b-side would be a, a bunch of rookies that really need to watch a game or two before they play and they wouldn't yeah. get that opportunity. But uh, I think, I, well, by the by, the spring we'll be okay. And uh, it's it's managing the subs. I think it's I think it's doable. I'd be willing to go along with it. Uh, it's very doable, and uh, you just have to manage your subs because most likely some of your alt if you don't want your you want to give your alternates uh, on the first side some action, and they yeah. might so I go after 
them in there to warm up a little bit. So, yeah, like there's, I mean, there, uh, you know, definitely not pointing fingers, but there's teams that I've seen, you know, oh, we got to play the first grade first. We got to play the first grade first. You know, our subs, you know, you know, the subs that play B-side, you know, we can't get them hurt in the B-side game. And then all of a sudden that guy doesn't get in until the 78th minute of your first grade game. And now what, and uh, what is he, now what has he played on the weekend? Just because, you know, you felt like you needed to have such a strong bench. We don't need to have strong benches. We need to have second grade sides that can perform. Yeah. So I, you know, the, one of the questions is like, or the main hesitation, sorry for the dogs in the background is the, question of the bench and how to manage your bench players time for the weekend so like do you want to have the strongest bench possible and 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 then the other question would be like if 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 you're telling me that you took your bench players and you started them in the reserve grade game and it was first and you pulled them at halftime and then they don't go into halftime you know that's like an hour plus time to recuperate you're trying to tell me those kids can't recuperate to a like standard good enough to go play in the first grade after an hour i think that i think there's also a thing we gotta be cautious on here too is i suffer from this i could be at 25 or 26 wanting to play that b-side but to get a b-side of 10 or 11's game that's beneficial i have to use first side starters and that's where that's why i think under 30 you're not going first grade or you're going first grade first once you get to 30 plus b-side first I, I agree because it adds more value to those B-side guys because what happens is it just becomes the afterthought instead of the warm-up game. And I think the warm-up game is a better feel for them. Um, and if you pick injuries up, then you're just going to have to put other guys on the bench for you. So it, it's a real tough balancing act when you sit, which is where we've sat for the last few years is in that 25 to 30 player range. Once you get above 30 consistent travelers, then I think it makes all consistent players. And then I think it makes the B side a lot easier. I think once you get to that point too, it'll be easier to stay there because the games are better. You know, like it's always easy to get, you know, it's easy to dress two teams at home. Right. But once you can start dressing on the road, those guys are going to get consistent game time. So they're going to consistently travel because they want to get the game time. So it's like a chicken egg situation, but um. Yeah, there's another point. Uh, what was the other thing I had here? Uh, spectator sidelines and technical zones. So during the game or just after. I've heard lots of horror stories about um, spectators and, you know, coming over to the player sideline. So what are you guys' thoughts? Like, do we need to be having the spectators separated, you know, do we need to be having technical zones? I know USA Rugby has it, right? They are telling teams they need to be doing this. That's how they operate at the national level. You know, when they go to nationals, like thoughts on spectator sidelines and technical zones in Florida on a weekly basis. You know, I used to, I used to not care about it. And then, you know, I mean, of course at FIU, it's, it's so difficult, but I, I like before, I didn't care. And then I spoke with Kiwi, you know, who's coaching UCF and took them to nationals. And he told me that you should be thinking about how national play, how they manage you as a, as a team at national play and try to replicate that, which is what I started to do, you know, where I'm asking players sit down, you can't stand up, you know, you have to stay on the bench. You have to be wearing a penny. 
you can't, you know, I can only send two to three guys out on the field with water. Coach can't go out. So it's, it's like those, those little things that I try to, I, I, I try to replicate. I, I really like the separation of having spectators on one side and the teams on another. Some teams, some teams respect the technical zone. You know, I tend to try to respect the technical zone. I know like, you know, Evan's the kind of the same way. So we have like, we have our technical area and then we have coaches that like, like to cross over and just follow the ball up and down the field, which drives me nuts because then it cuts through, you know, your technical zone. And so I, I, it has to be, I think if we're going to do it, it has to be something where every team has to follow that rule. And if, if, if one team is, is being, you know, a separate group, it doesn't, it doesn't work out for uh, well for everyone. Yeah. I, yeah. Go, go, uh, guys. Uh, thanks. The, uh, like the number of horror stories I've seen from just poor sideline management. I mean, you know, people getting run into by touch judges, all this stuff, you know, um, the technical, the technical zones are great. I mean, uh, shoot, even ask the school if, you know, if they'll paint one for you uh, and, you know, make it a game for the players. Hey, you got to stay in this box while you're on the sideline. Um, but, yeah, players and, you know, substitutes and pennies is great. You know, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm all for technical zones, especially spectators on the other side. Um, it, it gets a little hard at Florida State. We've got a lot of area you know, behind the player sideline. So, you know, very oftentimes you'll have, you know, injured players sneak back there, um, you know, girls from the girls team. Yeah, know. like the gray area is like not – is like the reserve grade guys that aren't playing the first grade, where do they sit? And then like – yeah, like that's the gray area you get into, but I, – I think I think they're less of the problem. I think if you keep your general spectators on the other side, I think it definitely – helps um i i was i I like what ronnie i was just going to clarify that ronnie's i think if we all set ourselves a standard buying a set of pennies that we bring with us for everyone and that's your pennies and if we had home teams we got chairs i'm sure all our schools have chairs and we just had make sure all our reserve your eight reserves are sitting in a chair you're not on a chair you're over there you know like it just if we could raise little standards in there i think that would be huge um because so then it becomes like tiny yellow card chairs that they have on the Aussie sidelines too. That would be fun. I, I don't understand I why they so. Yeah, they just they want to make a little primary school uh, chairs as what they are. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go, sorry. No, uh, you're all good. It just, I just think that the more that we the more that we try to improve the sideline, it'll create better culture for that. And it won't take long for that to change. So here is pennies. It could be something that maybe the home team supplies both teams with pennies. I, I think you should just be traveling with your own set of pennies. Ronnie does that. Ronnie does a really good job. He comes, he, you know, and we have a spot for him to sit down and water spots. I just think we can just improve our sidelines. I think it will definitely improve things. We can't stop, you know, I think the last time we played Ronnie and I at our home field, two of our spectators were fighting each other, literally trying to go blow to blow. And we had to stop the game to help to escort them off the field. You can't do much about that because they were, they were off in the spectator area. Um, but it was just, it's ridiculous. But if we can keep the spectators on the spectator side, I think it just takes so, the heat out of the game. I think all, I think on the, on the player sideline, it's literally the coach, the, like coach or coaches, whatever. And then the eight substitutes, 
and the trainer, and that's it. All non-playing players on the spectator sideline, and then stop stupid fights, right? Like, because who are the worst people? It's the it's the parents, right? Like in youth sports, who do you always hear complaining most about? It's the parents. They're the ones that go bananas. So just get them over there and then get all your non-playing players. They're the ones over there policing that stuff. And then that's it. Like, it's a hard, fast rule. It's easy. Like, if you're not playing, other sideline. I don't care who the hell you are. I don't care. Girl, doesn't matter. Get your ass on the other sideline. Yeah, and usually, I mean, I, I, I mean, and Evan knows, like, we know who the parents are that, that are the ones that are always the same. It's the same group, you know? So it's like, I try to kind of make sure that, you know, I'm talking to that person prior to, if, if I know that it's going to, if I feel that it's going to happen or I think it's going to happen, I just do it sometimes just to, as a precautionary thing. But um, yeah, I, I, I like, that's, that's a, that's a big part of, having that spectator that spectators separate from the group, because when that is on your side, you know, players tend to get involved because they have that personal relationship. I also think that player, the, the, the bench follows the energy of the coach, right? And same with the spectators, like every, everyone looks to the coach to see how they react to stuff and then they follow suit. So if we coaches, we just take ownership of that. And like when a bad call happens, just let it go. Like, because if we just start like behaving better, I think everyone else will start following us. And then the other thing I used to do all the time is that, you know, we had a couple coaches, we had walkie talkies and I would actually walk around the field during the game. I would actually go to the spectator sideline and talk to parents during the first grade match because let the kids play. The more you're yelling at them, the less they're focusing on what's happening in the moment. Yeah, I agree. And I used to, I mean, I used to stand at the back of the try zone and then the referees got all sensitive about where yeah. coaches need to stand. So it, it kind of changed my, my, where I stand and what I do, but I tend to be very quiet. I, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a big loud talking coach during the game. I'm more of a talker during practice, but I feel that it's one of those things you're hundred percent, right. I feel that players follow the coach's energy and, and I think you'll see it a lot of times where if the, if the players, um, if the coaches is, uh, you know, in an uproar on a call, players get in an uproar on a call, and then all of a sudden it becomes players complaining to the referee constantly. Yeah, exactly. we got to avoid that stuff. Uh, okay, so now complaining about refs. What about touch judges, right? Like that's the other thing we got to be respectful for. Um, you know, like, how do we do, what can we do to do this a better job with touch judges, right? Like you always hear about, or I mean, you see people running around with beers in their hand or t-shirt off or, you know, like who usually gets the flag. It's usually like the least experienced person. Is that the best person to be catching the flag to run touch or like, how, how do we do this? And don't get me wrong. I also ask questions internally within the union. How can we like provide money for this? So that way we can like if there's an online touch judge course that we can get certified touch judges on a club and then we pay them to do it. Like how do we do a better process of this or like just ramble sh thoughts go. So, so is that online course still available? I've been having a hard time trying to find it. I was going, my plan was to get all of our players to take that course. Do they still offer that? I don't do know. I'm assuming they do, but they've been reworking 
what they call their um, certification type platform that they're using. So um, let me take a little look around while you guys talk about this, but I think it's still on there. I just got to find it. Okay. Cause I, I think, I think that would be great. I think paying them, paying them would be awesome if, if we could afford it or, the, or just make that part of what the clubs have to pay for the referee and the touch judges. And, oh, uh, I think that, and, or like maybe even, you know, I mean, that, that's a, that's a fantastic idea. I also think that like teams should probably like look at players that are young, fre- either freshmen or sophomore that we know they're going to be around for a while. And like each team take two players and maybe even, get the you know the fcc you know i know we'll get kirk and evan to back it but like you know get the 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 union to back supporting these guys as touch judges so every year we're you know we're cycling in two new touch judges to learn the game and those are the guys that are you know responsible for running touch for for each team on game day i I, to me like it's a, it goes back to respect again, like it's respect of the game, right? Like, which is the worst thing you want to see. And it's really tough, right? When you have one of your players running touch and they're like, they do like those hometown calls or those home, you know, like they look out for their team more like that just undermines the credibility of the game. And it's like the worst thing in the world, right? Like, so if you're running touch and your team, it's a close shot at post and they miss it, like keep your, like, don't give anybody the benefit of the doubt, just be as, objective as possible because that's how we respect the game and respect the opponent and again like my my biggest beef on this stuff is that like once we start disrespecting the game that disrespect leads to distrust and the one thing we can't be doing is distrusting each other like we're all in this together we all need to grow together so like th- those little interactions which people blow off as minor are actually very big deals or can turn into very big deals so we just need to be really cautious about that stuff and i think if we can just focus on it we can do a better job and like yeah we'll all grow like i think again like what ken said like uh if it's like 20 dollars for a touch judge for a game it's 40 bucks more like yeah let's pay the 40 dollars I and mean, that's gonna make things way better you know uh the other idea can't uh evan had which i think we should probably talk about more is like what if next year for the fcc dues the ones that we invoice you guys that you pay out of the school if we went to 40 dollars a person and the union then essentially contracts videos for all games and then we have an online hosting place and now all games are videoed they're all shareable and it's done by like a professional um that's something we can think about and talk more about but uh any last comments or thoughts guys we've been here going at it I was hoping for 30 minutes. We're a little bit longer than that, but uh, I dig that idea, man. I dig that video idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I like that. We, uh, what we didn't talk about was post-match. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah. Shoot. Ken, uh, go for it. You know, the thing that uh, we struck that I work with my guys and I'm, I'm hoping all the other teams do is to make sure that the field looks exactly as it did when we left it that there is no trash, no water bottles. And, and, right. uh, and ideally we would be doing that. We, we haven't done a good job, but kind of keeping it neat during the game too. You know, we got kit bags scattered all over clothes here, clothes there, and, and it, it doesn't look professional at all. So it's, it's something that I know I need to work on with my players 
but I think that would help us for the respect of the game and, and uh, making us look like professionals. Yeah. Little things like that. I mean, just make sure when you put your kit bag, let's just put them in a line or something. Um, the other thing we used to have was you had those folding uh, benches. We had two of those and those things were pretty great. I know guys used, you know, they would use that instead of sitting on the ground to put their boots on, they could sit on a bench, but uh, right. little things like that. And then your other point about post-match, you know, like is the social, like, that is an important aspect that we need to be striving to keep intact. Um, my question is, like, if we have a team that, again, we should be communicating this stuff earlier, right? And if you can't stick around very long after the game, if you got to get going, that needs to be communicated. So that way the opposition isn't trying to put together this big social. So in those situations, would it be better off if, like, we just did, like, pizza or something at the field and then let the players interact at the field instead of trying to get off and go to a social if the other team has to leave right away. So, so actually that's something in the SC when we were in the SCRC, that was the trend there was they give water and something to eat right at the field. And then there was no official social. Right. I mean, the players would go do their thing, give us coaches the chance to be, have that plausible deniability of anything that might go on as bad as I hate to say it, but um, yeah, I, I think that's actually a trend. I think that's a trend probably in a lot of, a lot of places, but, but I, uh, I, I like the idea. If there's, if they're leaving, it'd be nice to be able to do something for them. I mean, we could also go that route, just start encouraging folks to like, let's just have the, the feed, on field right after the game and then it's and then it's yeah free for all you know like then everyone's up to, up to their own after that yeah having said that i'm not sure that uf will allow us to do that <laughs> yeah i was just gonna say the same thing you, you, you uh fiu won't allow us to do it okay so we're just going to case by case basis right now and again if, if you have to leave quickly it's you know it's on the traveling team to communicate that right like it shouldn't be on the home team to try to f figure out that yeah, and I think like like I know all of all of you guys here on this call have experienced it with FIU. Like FIU is not a real community school, so there's like nothing around. So a lot of times it's like social at somebody's house or somebody's apartment. Um, but yeah, that's 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 one of the it's it's just an area thing. Some some areas are able to do it, and some areas aren't. Well, yeah. we, always try, we always try to put on a social no matter what. I mean, uh, can you get a, a pavilion at Palmetto Park around the corner there? Yeah, it's uh, they they we can um, if it's the, the problem is that all the all the pavilions that are that are there are part of the park. And I mean, uh, part of where the baseball fields are at. Mm. And it's always kids there. So, like, they don't want to have anything, yeah, uh, you know, outside of baseball that that would be in that area. The yeah. last time we went there, Ronnie, it was like a really more like a restaurant, which is what we have is like burger you. So like, yeah, they can sell beer and those things there, but it's generally a restaurant. So the food is the top priority. And I think that's the most important thing. That's what, like, we never buy beer for the opposition team. We always buy chicken tenders and fries or whatever else from burger you and everybody just go in and eat that. And I think that's the, I think that's really an, what Ken's kind of alluding to a little bit too is like if, as long as we don't sponsor, you know, alcohol and alcohol, for, it's just the underage kids within that, yeah. and we're not paying for that as a club. I think we're fine. 
Um, but it, it definitely is nice. Just even if it's 10, 15 minutes, you just stop by and you say hi. Uh, I think that's that's important. I try, I'm trying to be better with that with us too. Yeah, we, I mean, it, it's that, and that, that was the biggest thing with us is it's always just finding a place that can house two, you know, two teams and food and not disrupt restaurant business um, because everything around FIU is so small, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Each of us had their own individual challenges. I know FIU is a unique challenge that it's such a commuter school, but uh, I'm sure we could figure something out. And I'll help out whenever possible, Ron. I'll call my grandma. Yeah. She's around the, send, she's around send, the corner there. <laughs> send me ideas, man. Send me ideas. We're, we're trying. We'll try, we're, we'll try anything and everything. You got it. You know, I was. I used to be a big, big fan of that uh, Chinese buffet right across the street. Hey, they got closed. They got closed down on 119 violations, man. I had guys going there every day. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only 119. Wow. All right. Uh, okay, guys, any other last topic or last comments here on this uh, game day experience? I think it's been a really good uh, chat so far. Anything else you guys want to close out on? Well, I really appreciate the time. That'll be it for this one. Uh, keep your ears out. We've got another one coming up here shortly. We're going to talk about some other topics for the future, sevens, uh, assistant coaches. We'll do another one specifically for student leadership and what it, what it means or what does it take to be a good president. We'll get uh, some former presidents to come on and help chat with that stuff. But uh, thanks so much for your time, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for listening. See you guys soon. Mm-hmm.